Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So I'm continuing with our series called A Modern Romance, which is a bit of a weird uh, concept because we're talking about ancient principles from thousands of years ago in the Bible, covenants and marriages and all these these rituals from ancient times, but we're saying it's very modern, it's very current, because we can have this amazing romance with God. And some people say, wow, romance with God, that sounds crazy. I thought religion was all about just kind of somberness and going through traditions and doing the right things. I didn't know it was about romance. And the, the great thing about the series is to show us that our relationship with Jesus is passionate, alive, real, uh, vital, daily, intimate, uh, beautiful. That, that's the idea behind the series. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, says God. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. So what I want to do today is look at the small part of a wedding uh, ceremony. We, we looked in the first sermon at the courtship and the bride price and the process they go through and all the beautiful things in a marriage uh, ceremony from beginning to end. But today I want to focus and zoom in just on the covenant. If you like, it's like in a wedding ceremony, we come, we have songs, we have the bride proceeding in and we have all the beautiful flowers. And, and there's a short part in the middle where the vows are made. I so-and-so take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, not awful wedded life, lawful wedded wife. <laughs> And all those things we say, sometimes they use funny old-fashioned language. I plight thee my troth. Have you heard that one? It's a strange one, isn't it? I sometimes wonder why we still use old-fashioned English. I really do. When I first became a Christian, there was this amazing contrast where I was worshipping Jesus for the first time in my little Christian group with my Christian friends. And we were honestly worshipping Jesus. And then I would go to my school religious assembly that we had to go to every morning. We had to be dressed properly and we had to stand nicely. And, and we had to sing Christian songs, but nobody meant the words. In fact, nobody knew what the words meant. He who would valiant be against all disaster. And then there's this verse, hobgoblins or, or foul fiends. 
something or other. And I remember singing those words and thinking, what? What is this all about? Why am I singing this? And this contrast between dead religion and vibrant worship and real relationship with Jesus was brought home to me then and it's never left me. I can honestly say in the 30 years I've been a believer, it's, that is the consistent thing that the Lord keeps reminding me of, is there's dead religion, which is not real Christianity, and then there's a vibrant, real relationship. And we're trying to look at that today. But we're looking at the, the covenant portion. So zoom your mind in, focus on one little part, the, the covenant portion. And you might not really know what covenant is, but I want to tell you it's a powerful theme that goes right through the Bible. Hosea 6 verse 7 says, Adam broke the covenant that God made with him. So right from Adam and Eve, there was a covenant right through the Bible. And at the end of Revelation, there's the wedding supper of the Lamb where the covenant is consummated. But right through, I'm going to show you today. I don't have time to go through all the covenants. So I'm going to just hit a few of them, a few of the highlights today. Genesis chapter 6 is the first one. God says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Noah, God kindly said, I mean, it must have been a shock for him to hear. All earth, all life on earth is going to be wiped out. But you and your small, close family are going to be different. Why? Because of this word covenant. God says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. So this is the first time the word covenant actually appears in the Bible. And Noah would have thought, what's a covenant? It's a, it's a Hebrew word that comes from the word cut. And it also is sometimes, the word is sometimes used to mean eat or meal. And Noah would have heard it for the first time. I thought, what? All he knows is I'm going to be kept safe. And then it goes on in uh, chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar. So this is after the flood. They're coming out of the ark for the first time. Devastation, just mud and devastation all around them. And it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord, which is a, a pile of stones to make a sacrifice. And he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So he sacrificed the animals. He offered them up to God. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. And then in verse 8 of chapter 9. Then the Lord spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And, and Noah and his sons lean in closer. They're trying to see what does covenant mean? What does God mean when he says covenant? What is it? I, I'm laughing inside because I'm thinking of Abraham in exactly the same situation 
in Genesis 17, where God says, I'm establishing my covenant with you, Abraham, and this will be the sign for you. He just told Abraham all the good things he was going to do for him. It's going to bless him. He would be a blessing. He would have lots of children. The land would be his. God would be his shield and his great reward. He told him all these blessings that he's going to give Abraham. And he says, and this is the sign of the covenant. And you can imagine Abraham leaning in and God says, circumcision. And you can imagine Abraham going, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a bit of a surprise. You, you want me to cut what off what? I want you to cut a bit of flesh off. Okay. Anyway, Noah, let's get back to Noah. So God says, I will establish my covenant with you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. So the sign for Abraham was circumcision. And whenever God looked at Abraham and his descendants, he said, ah, I remember. Now, that's weird what you've done, but now I remember why you've done it. It's a sign of something we've promised together. Look at the sign for Noah. So a covenant always has, well, almost always, I think in virtually every case, it has some cutting or some sacrifice. There's a bit of a meal involved. There are promises made and there is a sign, a remembrance sign. Think of a wedding ring. And God said, this is the sign. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud. And it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And then he says it again. I, 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 it's amazing how many times he says the same thing in these few verses. Verse 17. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. It's like God says, I'm going to remember, but I want you to remember as well, Noah. And I'm just so blessed. Every time I see a beautiful rainbow, I praise God for that covenant he made with Noah. Amen. It's, I don't think we realize just how blessed we are that God said, I will never again wipe out all flesh with a flood. Thank you, God, for your covenant and the fact that you remember it forever. And that you put a sign and a symbol so that we can remember it and that God remembers it. Right, the next covenant I want to look at, I can't cover them all. But the next one I want to look at is in Joshua chapter 9. And this is just after Joshua and the Israelites have come into the promised land. And there's a whole lot of nations there that have been sinning and worshipping demons for hundreds of years and God says their time of punishment is has reached its full its fill but your time of entering has reached its time and the two merge into one and therefore drive them out of the land before you but in verse 
3, it says, But the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. That's two other cities close by them. They worked craftily, the Gibeonites, and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Can you see the length that these people went to to deceive Joshua and the Israelites? So these are Gibeonites who live. They're the next city after Jericho and Ai. The Gibeonites are the next city that is due, to, due for destruction. Their, their best before date has expired. It's time for them to move out of the land. And they know it. And they put in a lot of effort to create a ruse. They get old everything. They say, what, what, what should we, what would they think of? Oh, yes, our sandals have to look old. Our clothes have to, the, the bread, the bread has to be dry and moldy. What else? Oh, the, and they got it ready so it looked like they'd come from a far distant place. And um, verse 6, And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Let's jump forward. Verse 14, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Joshua and the people were taken in by the ruse. They, it says they didn't ask the Lord's counsel. Can I just say, it's wise for us to always say, please let me pray about this. It might be the best job offer in the world. It might be the most wonderful girl who wants to date you. It might be the most fantastic free holiday that you're getting given for no price. or so whatever it is, say, Lord, is this of you? And let him guide you by his peace. But Joshua and the people said, no, we're not listening. We're not even going to think about God. Yes, we're entering a covenant with you. And then it became clear in the rest of the chapter that the Gibeonites were actually a very large city right next door. And they should have been destroyed. But the covenant had been made. And in chapter 10... I don't have time to read it all to you. Let me just read a few verses. Now it came to pass when Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like that one of the royal cities. And he got together a whole bunch of other kings from nearby neighborhoods and they made war against Gibeon. They attacked Gibeon and God blessed them. Uh, verse 7, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua fought with them, verse 10, so the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter, 
um, verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge on their enemies. Uh, so the sun stood still and there um, has never been, there has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. I want you to see the power in this, friends. God moved heaven and earth. What does it take for the sun to stand still for a day? I don't know how that happened. I mean, it was an amazing miracle, and it came out of a deception and a covenant made. But God says a covenant is a covenant. And a covenant means God gets involved. A co covenant is different from a contract where two human beings say, yes, I'll do this. Will you do this? Yes, okay. That's a contract. But a covenant is a contract with God's power on it. And God says, when there's a covenant, I move heaven and earth to get involved. There's one more part to this story. In 2 Samuel 21, 400 years later, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. 400 years later, God is still watching over that covenant with his power and his protection to make sure that it is kept. Isn't that amazing? I'm wondering if you're starting to see the power of this thing called covenant. It's extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. Let me jump forward. Malachi chapter 2 and in verse uh, 14. Yet you say, for what reason? Why, why is there this problem in Israel? Why are we having problems? He says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. She is your companion, your wife by covenant. He's saying to the Israelites, you've married people. Each of you has married somebody. But then you're treating that covenant badly. You're not honoring your wife or your husband and because of that, there's problems in the whole of Israel. Verse 15. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? Now that little line is translated differently in different versions of the Bible. Some say with a portion of his Spirit. Some say he's one in, they are one in the Spirit. The idea is that it's not just a human contract that a husband and wife make, but a spiritual one. God puts his Spirit on it, and their spirits get joined together. He says, and why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So we've seen three covenants. Noah, with a beautiful promise, beautiful rainbow, 
and God's remembering that sign for the rest of eternity. We've seen Joshua and the Gibeonites with a deceptive covenant, and yet God says, my power is released, even though you weren't fully in my plan when you made that covenant, I'm going to release my covenant. And then we see husbands and wives where God says that covenant is just as important and just as powerful as any other covenant that exists. One more. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is now two friends, Jonathan and David, making a covenant with each other. I want you to see the beauty of this thing. You know, we can go through our whole lives and not realize there's this thing that's available called covenant. And there's power in it. And there's access to all of God's resources in it. And we can go through our whole lives just oblivious to the power of this thing called covenant. 1 Samuel 18 verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, not the spirit, the soul of Jonathan, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. What's happening here? Jonathan and David are brothers in the Lord. They love each other. They love God. They are friends. Even though Jonathan's father, Saul, hates David and is trying to kill him, David and Jonathan are brothers and they're friends and they make a covenant. They say our friendship is so strong that it's not just an unspoken bro. How are you doing, mate? We're actually going to commit to one another. And they had a covenant ceremony where they took their weapons and their clothing and they swapped it. And they said, my clothing, my covering, my wealth is your wealth, brother. My weapons and protection and strength is yours, brother. If you need help, I'm here for you. If I need help, you're there for me. And this was so powerful that many years later, after Jonathan had died, all of Jonathan and Saul's family had been wiped out, but there was one crippled child of Jonathan's left hiding in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means nothing. That's the literal translation of the, the name of the city. Lodabar means nothing. He was living in a place called nothing. His name was Mephibosheth, and he was crippled, and he was alone, and he was the only remaining relative of Saul and Jonathan's family. And David found him, and he adopted him, and he said, Mephibosheth, you will sit and eat at my table every time I eat. You will be one of my sons. I will look after you till the day you die, because I've made a covenant with Jonathan. And a covenant is powerful. And I want to go back to the verse that I read at the beginning, Isaiah 54. And I want you to see the power of this thing. Because God says, verse 5, Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused. Says your God, for a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this... 
our relationship, God says, to you and me. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, I'll never again flood the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart, the hills shall be removed, time and all of creation can pass away, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. If you don't revel in a, a God who loves you like a husband loves a wife and who is so committed to you. He says, all of my blessing, provision, righteousness, goodness, power, wealth, it's yours. And I take all of your dirty, rotten clothing and sin. I'll take that on me. You have my name. I'll have your name. God says, I'm your husband. And nothing will change it forever. It's like the, the rainbow... I've made a covenant with you. There are many signs of this covenant, many. Baptism is one, uh, there, there are many of them. But the one that I emphasized in our first sermon, which I want to emphasize again today, is the cup of communion. I don't know if you remember this, but we spoke about the Jewish marriage ceremony. And when a man and woman are betrothed, do you remember there's a betrothal and then there's a year's space and then the final marriage supper? When they are betrothed, the man gets a cup of wine and he says, this is the cup of our new covenant and I'm laying down my life for you. And he drinks of it and he gives it to his bride-to-be. And if she drinks of it, she's saying, yes, we are betrothed. Luke 22, verse 20. Likewise, this is at the Last Supper. He's told them he's going to die for them. He's got his disciples around him. They don't fully understand what he means when he says, I'm going to die for you. And then he says, he takes the cup. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And in 1 Corinthians, it tells us we must do this as often as we eat it and drink it in remembrance of him. We're proclaiming his death until he comes again. But you know what else we're doing? We're holding up the sign like the rainbow and we're saying God has paid. God has given. God has accepted. I am one with God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says if anyone is one or is joined to the Lord in marriage, he becomes one spirit with God. His spirit and your spirit get merged together on the inside of you. And when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. So we're going to take communion today. And we're going to remember the power of the covenant. And I want to say to you, if you are struggling, if your emotions are rebelling against you and telling you, I'm not worthy, I'm useless, I've failed, God doesn't love me, just look at the sign of the covenant and say emotions mean nothing. There is something more powerful and it's what God has done for me. If your guilt is weighing you down, just tell that guilt to get lost because Jesus has paid for your forgiveness. He says, it's like Noah, it's like the flood. I won't be angry with you. I've paid for your sin. If you're feeling inadequate 
or you're feeling a lack or a need to say, God, all of your resources are mine. You promised it. You're a faithful husband. I'm not always faithful, but you are faithful, God. And I thank you for that covenant and for healing as well. That's part of the covenant. Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds, we have been healed. That's part of it. Say, Lord, thank you for paying so that I don't have to suffer with all this. And receive that healing bodily, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, whatever the case is. Just say, husband, covenant keeper, God who keeps his promises, I receive it from you. And it doesn't depend on you. It depends on the power of our almighty God. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.